It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Abby Hornacek. This is Tucker Carlson. And I'm Jessica Tarlov. This is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, April 21st, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Ohio Senate Republicans have been competing over who is more Trumpy. And the former president himself has weighed in now, backing a man who was once highly critical of him, as well as Republicans overall. There's a question presented about whether we will be the party of whether we call it America first or Donald Trump or whether we're going to be the party, I think, that goes backwards 20 or 30 years and tries to solve the problems not of tomorrow, but the problems of a few decades. I'm Eben Brown. More than 40 million Americans owe nearly $1.8 trillion in student loans and associated fees and penalties. Once again, the Biden administration is openly toying with the idea of debt cancellation. But who benefits and for how much? Certainly not everybody. When you talk about maybe forgiving all of that debt, What you're really talking about is creating the biggest entitlement program in American history. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The Ohio Senate race has been heated, generating its own headlines as multiple candidates go after a soon-to-be-vacant seat currently held by Republican Rob Portman. Several Republicans have entered this race, but polling has been most favorable as of late to former state treasurer Josh Mandel and investment banker Mike Gibbons. The two got into it at a debate last month. And you back off. Oh, my God. Never let him happen. Sit down. Never. Watch. Watch. We'll square it away with the wrong dude. No, no, you're dealing with the wrong guy. You watch what happened. You watch what happened. That after Gibbons said Mandel had never worked in the private sector and didn't understand business. Mandel said he served two tours in Iraq and jumped up, standing close to Gibbons. Despite his reaction, Mandel was ahead in the last poll. Just prior to that debate, though, Gibbons spoke to this podcast and addressed nearly all of the candidates' desires, including his own, for former President Donald Trump's endorsement. Frankly, uh, I've been a Trump supporter since day one. I, I believe in his policies, and uh, and I think he knows that. I'm not sure whether he's going to endorse, and I think you know, that may be a, a substantial differentiating factor if he does. Whoever wins the May 3rd primary will likely face the Democrat Tim Ryan, who's been working union halls and working-class neighborhoods, as some Democrats have criticized his latest ad in which he says it's us versus China. He voted in the primary Wednesday, and WFMJ in Youngstown, Ohio, caught up with him. We're just encouraging everybody to get out early and, you know, get their vote, regardless of who you're voting for. You know, a lot of people died, made a lot of sacrifices for us to be able to do this. You see what What's going on in Russia now? You see what happens in places like China. You know, elections are a joke there, but they're the real deal here, and you got to get out and exercise that right. But the man President Trump has officially chosen to endorse is J.D. Vance, the Yale Law graduate whose memoir, Hillbilly Elegy, was turned into a movie and who was highly critical of the former president back in 2016. His former roommate shared messages from that time in which Vance questioned whether Trump was America's Hitler. In his endorsement, Trump noted that Vance once said some not-so-nice things about him, as have others, but that Vance is the best chance for victory in what could be a tough race, a race that many have been paying attention to. You know, yeah, it's a few things, I think. I mean, first is that a lot of people, especially in the corporate media, just hate my guts, and they've been 
obsessed with me for a few years now. J.D. Vance is an Ohio Republican Senate candidate. You know, obviously Ohio is a very important state politically and nationally. You know, the winner of Ohio usually at a presidential level is the winner of the presidential race. And so, you know, the state is just interesting politically. But I also think that there's really a war going on for the soul of the Republican Party. And there's a question presented about whether we will be the party of whether we call it America first or Donald Trump or whether we're going to be the party, I think, that goes backwards 20 or 30 years and tries to solve the problems not of tomorrow, but the problems of a few decades ago. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting, of course, President Trump's endorsed me in this race. And I'm, of course, thrilled to have that endorsement. But it also heightens the sense that we're really fighting about what the Republican Party will be in the future. And now you are endorsed by the former president, even as he admitted himself that you'd said some maybe not so nice things about him in the past. He's still going with you. I'm interested, though, your own campaign manager said Trump trusts that you're a genuine convert. What does that mean? And how did you convert or like what happened there? Yeah, so I I was like a lot of conservatives, I think, skeptical of Trump back in 2015 and 2016. And because I was a public figure, I said some critical things to the president. Uh, But I, I really think that his time in office was the most successful four years for a president of my lifetime. I'm 37 years old. You had wages that were going up well past inflation, which is, of course, the opposite of what's happening now. You actually had a secure southern border, maybe for the first time in a long time. And you had you know, us talking about why are we losing our entire manufacturing and industrial base to China, a country that hates us. I mean, all these things were happening under Trump's watch. Yeah, but more importantly, you had the deep state. You had the FBI getting wiretaps on the president of the United States. And it makes you realize that the amount of corruption that exists in our government, Trump revealed it in a way that I was blind to. And so I, I guess if I've converted, that's the big thing that made me convert. And now that we see that, how can we not fight back against it? How can we not try to return the bureaucracy of this country to some sanity and some public mindedness? How, how much do you think Ohioans care about the former president? I, I read a Fox 8 poll that found 62 percent of respondents said an endorsement from Trump would make them more likely to vote for that candidate. What about the former president do you think resonates most with Ohio voters? Well, he's the leader of the party, and rightfully so. And importantly, a lot of Ohio Republicans don't trust the party leadership. They think that the senators, the congressmen, the governors that we have are not trustworthy, but Trump is trustworthy. And so when he puts his trust in a candidate, when he says, this is my guy, this guy is actually going to fight for the agenda that I believe in, I think a lot of our voters are swayed by that because, again, he's earned their trust unlike most politicians. So it's a great endorsement to have. I think it's one of the few, if not the only endorsement in American politics that actually moves voters. And I think because of it, we're going to win this race in a big way. And there's definitely some substantive issues, right? So I I do think he's the first guy to really talk about China and to make it the fixture of his presidential candidacy and campaign and governance. Of course, now everybody talks about China. I think it's the fact that people were doing well, right? Trump's America was a very prosperous and thriving America. But I think more importantly than anything is Trump was not afraid of saying what needed to be said. I mean, so many Republicans are terrified of being called racist or sexist or what have you, that they're not actually willing to talk about the real issues And Trump wasn't like that, right? He actually said what he thought. He governed in the way that he believed, and people respect that. We talked to one of your, I guess, competitors, Mr. Gibbons, a few weeks ago. 
And we talked about getting Trump's endorsement or trying to get it. It does seem like everybody on the Republican side here is, is fighting for that or wants it, except maybe for one candidate. I don't know how much you can reveal to us, but what was that process like? Like, did you sort of lobby the president? Did you go to Mar-a-Lago? Like, I know Mr. Gibbons, for example, did. Like, what was the process like? Yeah, I've had a number of conversations with the president over the past couple of years about the race. I took maybe a slightly different tack from a lot of my competitors. Instead of begging the president for his endorsement, I told the president early on that I wanted to earn it, that I wanted him to think that I was the best candidate. And I really wanted the endorsement, but I wanted it because I was going to be the strongest candidate. And I, I think he respected that. And I think he watched the race very closely. He watched the debates that we had very closely. And he just started to think that I was the only candidate who could actually take the fight to the Democrats successfully. I think that more than anything. I think the debates really swayed the president from neutrality to endorsing me. And I, and I think it had you know, similar effects on a lot of voters. The debates were good for us because you can tell when somebody's reading a script that a consultant's given them when they actually believe something. And I, I actually believe this stuff, and I want to govern in a way that's consistent with it. I know some messages from an old roommate of yours are out, and they reveal more about what was your negative opinion about President Trump back in 2016, but you also shared what you thought about Republicans, the party, and using terms like it's the party of lower educated, lower income whites. I think you said in an interview that Republicans were intent on antagonizing minorities. Do you still feel that way as a whole about the party, or are you going to be a Republican that addresses those concerns in some way? Well, I, I think actually, you know, the point I made that the Republican leadership was antagonizing a lot of non-white voters is actually pretty true. And Trump was hilariously, given how the media framed President Trump, he brought more minorities into the party than anybody. I mean, Hispanics really have become a major Republican voting bloc. That's an important thing. That's a great achievement of his politically. And the point about education is really important to me. I think that we should not be ashamed of the fact that a lot of working class, a lot of middle class voters who did not go to college are now Republicans. Uh, we're not the party of the country club. And my point there really is we have to stop being ashamed of our own voters. Like there are a lot of hardworking people, very smart people who work in construction, who work in manufacturing. And there is this weird thing that you see from a lot of Republican elites. They're kind of ashamed of those people. But even when I was critical of Trump, that's the family that I came from. That's the community that I came from was working class people. And I, I think the Republican Party has to wake up to the fact that these are our people. They are our voters. We can't be ashamed of them. We should be proud of them and actually do something in government to make their lives better. Let's talk about polling. It does look like Josh Mandel's the favorite right now. What do you think of your opponents on a policy level? Like, you're all Republicans. How do you differentiate uh, yourself from your rivals, I guess, here? Yeah, so I don't think Mandel's a front runner, actually. I mean, I think he's the guy who's ran for office pretty much since he was 12 years old, and so a lot of people know who he is. He has high name ID, but I don't think that he's the person who's likely to win this race on May 3rd. That was even before the president's endorsement. Certainly with the president's endorsement, I think I'm the clear favorite of the race. I mean, look, I think there are a lot of differences. I think the main general difference is, again, these guys don't actually believe this stuff, and you can tell when they're asked questions, they always retreat to the talking points. They always retreat to mm -hmm. the slogans. They don't answer the questions about substance. But let me just give you one, one example here. So, you know, I've staked out a very clear view that the United States should focus much more on our own border than what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Not that we can't be sympathetic to the Ukrainians, not that we can't send aid, 
but that our policymakers should be more focused on our own southern border. Josh Mandel has called me a Putin stooge. He's called a lot of Republicans, like Tucker Carlson, Putin stooges for having the audacity to think that our leaders should actually focus on America's problems first. That's like a very fundamental difference. So I, I really think that there is a substantial policy difference. There's a lot of old guard Republicans trying to run as Trump Republicans. And then there's a guy who actually believes in the America first policies, and that's me. It does look like you're getting some more cash thrown your direction, um, in part, thanks to billionaire Peter Thiel. He's putting uh, money toward a PAC that backs you, and he's backing others, I think, in other races uh, in association with Trump's endorsements. What do you do with any momentum now? I mean, how, do you, how are you planning to capitalize on, on this? You know, we, we've been running the race we're running, and we're going to keep on running it. The president's endorsement gives us a great new message to talk about, look, I am the Trump-endorsed candidate. I think a lot of voters are interested in that, so we'll talk a lot about that. Uh, we answer questions from voters. We don't script them. I just go and talk about what matters to me, and then I invite voters to ask questions. Because I, I do think it's important that voters get a chance to meet their candidates, to shake their hands, to get a sense of who they are and what they believe. You know, we should be telling voters what we actually believe in. We should be giving them an opportunity to meet us. We should not be hiding from them and trying to win purely on 30-second TV commercials, which is what all the other guys are doing. We talked to a GOP strategist this week who said um, the biggest risk for Republicans over the next six months, with all the enthusiasm heading into midterms, is picking quality candidates who can carry the message into battle and that the Senate sure. map is still tough for Republicans. What do you see as the biggest risk for Republicans in Ohio, including yourself? And is it Tim Ryan? Yeah, I think it's getting lazy. I, I think we beat Tim Ryan so long as we work hard. And to that guy's point, I think that's right. We need good candidates and we need people who can carry the message forward. So uh, I think that's going to be me. I feel very confident I'm going to be the Republican facing Tim Ryan in November. But, but we're going to win so long as we don't screw up. We can't let ourselves get lazy just because it's a good environment. We've got to do the work and we've got to respect voters enough to try to actually earn their vote, not just expect them to show up for us. J.D. Vance, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. If you owe money you borrowed for school, you are not alone, and there's a good chance you might be in default, or at least have had some trouble keeping current. The debt has gotten so high, it now costs more than some states' annual budgets. It's affecting Americans of all ages who went to school last term and those who graduated decades ago. And that might be why the Biden administration wants to eliminate that debt for some. The president's always been happy to sign a bill into law passed by Congress that would cancel $10,000 in student debt. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, candidate Joe Biden, had made promises to erase the debt. So far, there have been small amounts forgiven for certain small groups of people. Alan Collins of Student Loan Justice insists forgiving the debt doesn't cost what you may think. Think. The taxpayers paid for these loans many years ago, and they did not pay $1.6 trillion. 
unlike PPP loans, which the majority of which went to the highest uh, 20% income bracket, student loans can be canceled without needing one dime from the Treasury. He spoke with Fox's Dana Perino on America's Newsroom, but there's concern that wiping the slate clean sets a bad precedent, that future students will borrow and expect to not pay. And then what? I mean, it's enticing for politicians. Let's just be honest here, right? Because you're giving money to people who then might vote for you, right? It's like buying votes almost. Fox Business's Jerry Willis. Look, here's what the Biden administration is looking at. A program that would help 3.6 million student loan debt holders. 40,000 of them, as many as 40,000, could get outright cancellations of that debt. And then let's just back up about 40 paces and realize that the total number of student debt borrowers is something like 46 million. The total debt, now think about this, $1.75 trillion. So when you talk about maybe forgiving all of that debt, What you're really talking about is creating the biggest entitlement program in American history, more than Social Security, more than welfare, more than SSI. I mean, this is not something to be taken lightly. I think people just want to pass it off. Oh, we got to help these kids. They need kids. These kids need help. But look in reality, and I'm sorry, I I get very exercised about this because I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. The vast majority of kids don't even graduate. Okay, of a of the number of kids that are walking into college for the first time, let's say this year's freshman class, only 41 percent of them will graduate in four years. Now, I don't know about you, but as a taxpayer, I'm not willing to pay for somebody just to park themselves on a campus for four years and maybe just try out experiment with their education. That's that can't be in the cards. If you want to go in, you want to pay for it, take out a loan, pay it back. Fine. I'm fine with that. But not this. This is not right. It's not fair to other borrowers who have paid off their debt. Let's talk about who actually owes this money. You mentioned one point eight or nearly one point eight trillion dollars. According to the Department of Education, as per the year 2020, which is two years ago, a year and a half ago, however you look at it, the biggest group that owe it, that owes the most are over 35, $950 billion. They're, so they're it's, 40 it's, it's a, plus. Yeah. They're right. 40 plus. They're educated. They're white. They tend to be you know, have really good jobs that pay well. So in reality, what the Biden administration is suggesting here is let's bail out those lawyers and doctors who spent a lot of money on their education because it goes to people who are already earning. There are debt forgiveness programs out there already for people like doctors. They exist uh, in a number of ways where the doctors go out, they go to areas that are understaffed, underserved by medical professionals. They get their debt forgiven. I think that's a good way to handle it. Not just, you know, signing a check and saying, oh, that's OK. You don't have to pay this. Why would I, as an incoming freshman, ever pay a bill? Why would I pay tuition, the exorbitant amounts of money uh, that people are charged for tuition, for fees, you name it? If people are being forgiven right now, and I think that's another point, because if uh, a student who's about to go to college sees everyone getting their debt forgiven, once we've done it once, we sort of we set a precedent like it's easier to do it a second time sometime in the future. Uh, But we got to this point by a couple of of, uh, problems, I think, and I'd love your opinion on this. 
way back in the 1990s, one of the things that the contract with America did was to eliminate bankruptcy protection for student debtors. And right. you can you can if you you can run up a six figure bill on credit cards hitting bars and nightclubs and doing all sorts of things that people would consider to be unsavory but legal. And you could go to a bankruptcy court and get it taken care of. In fact, before you even get to the court, that that credit card company is going to try to at least collect maybe if they can pennies on the dollar just to get something out of you. The federal system now owns these student loans ever since 2009 with the Obama administration, something called the SAFRA Act, which was part of, uh, part of the Affordable Care Act. It was kind of a rider. And they federalize the loans. They also control the collection process. And you don't have bankruptcy protection. And they can administratively garnish your wages uh, to collect on this. They can collect 25% of your paycheck, unlike private loans, which they can only do 15% after a court ruling. We have another problem here. We have people being pushed into some debt that maybe they can't get out of. So how do we we have to balance this? We have to help people who need help but now have no access to the main government help program, which was bankruptcy, which reviews your finances and determines what you can and can't pay. Well, look, I, I see some bad guys here. I, uh, Congress yeah. wrote a stupid bill. I'll, I'll agree with you. If you have a problem, don't give it to Congress to solve a money problem. Forget <laughs> about it. That's a bad idea. Don't get, don't go that way. Uh but the other thing is, you know, hey, students, don't be stupid. Don't take on more debt than you can pay. I mean, it's got to be that simple. I can't tell you how many people have told me, well, I could have gotten into this Ivy League or that Ivy League, but I didn't go there because I really couldn't afford it. So I went somewhere where I could afford it. Carrying debt over time is not just a financial burden, it's an emotional burden. It holds you back in so many ways. And we've seen this generation, these last couple of generations, really get caught in that. They start their families later, they buy a home later. Their whole you know, world, their future is put on hold while they pay off this debt. I blame the universities and the schools who have built now, I mean, if you go to these campuses these days, you would be astonished at how these kids live. It's unbelievable. The student unions are all new. They have climbing walls inside. You have sushi for lunch. <laughs> you know, do you remember like slapping the peanut butter on the white bread? Yeah, I mean, when was, you were uh, in school, I mean, I know I sound like a fogey. Yeah. <laughs> I sound like a fogey. But I mean, come on, you can't spend that much money. And when you get to the athletic programs, forget about it. It's tens of billions of dollars for football-only stadiums. Why does a university need a football-only stadium? It's commonplace now. So I think that what's going on right now and, and what's sort of been missed in the conversation is that a lot of the schools are starting to get the message. And, they, and if you look at tuition numbers, they're actually coming down for the first time in like three decades because they know this is a problem. And we're not going to get the people we need. We can't just get, you know, some schools can just scrape the cream off of every year's graduating high school graduating class. Right. Right. But a lot of schools cannot do that. And we've had failures among some private schools. You've read isolated stories about that now where some schools fail and kids can't get their degree and their money disappears overnight, that kind of thing. So I think that the University Inc., which is what it is, has kind of hit a wall and they're trying to figure out how to go from here. 
Well, that that's interesting, too, because these schools, a lot of them were agents of the lending. You, you didn't necessarily go to a bank to get these loans. You went to your school's financial aid department. Right. They're the ones that helped you fill out can the I, Can I afford yeah. this? Yeah. Sure you can. Sure, sure you, you can, can afford yeah. it. Well, you'll get a job after you get out of here. You'll pay this back. What they don't tell you, and of course, I think a lot of Americans are financially not so literate, they don't necessarily read the fine print. They find out how much that default rate is if you miss a payment, because it's much higher than in any other kind of loan product. It's it's uh, the uh, the late fees, the the structuring of the late fees, about how they compound. You can't get away with this in the private lending system, mostly because there's a check and balance on this. The lender don't do has the rights. the private lending system. Yeah. Hello, echo, right. echo, echo, echo. Don't echo, do echo. the private lending system. The rates are higher. I mean. It's just a disaster. Look, I think people have to scale back their expectations, mom and dad included. Here's the irony. Okay, how many people do you know the kids are going to some fabulous school and mom and dad are sitting at home on a Saturday night ordering in pizza because they can't go anywhere? Their furniture is all secondhand and they rarely go on vacation. Why? Because they're paying little Johnny's uh, tuition and they're trying to scrape up enough money to do that. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I, I sound like the most heartless woman in the world, but I'm just saying at some point, somebody has to be responsible for their own education. And look, I understand that, you know, because all of my friends have their kids right now going to these uh, college campuses and taking tours and the families come back and little Janie or little Johnny is saying, oh, I really like the one with the sushi in the lunchroom. You know, like they automatically pick the most expensive lifestyle. Well, this isn't supposed to be about lifestyle. It's supposed to be about getting an about education. education. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember the college lifestyle, too. It wasn't lavish. You, we, we had very sparsely uh, adorned dorms and. And like you mentioned, the peanut butter, or you went to the, the, the dining hall, and it wasn't really the best food you could ever eat. Uh, if you were an upperclassman, maybe you got some kind of on-campus apartment with a, or off-campus apartment even that was cheap, but it had a kitchen you can cook for yourself. But uh-huh. you, you weren't paying filet mignon. You know, it's a, <laughs> you couldn't afford such a thing. So uh, I just want to get back yeah. for a second to this idea, you know, how, how do we... How do we square the circle? What do we do? And I think turning to the government is uh, a bad idea, frankly. And here's why. I'm Well, I'm a fiscal conservative, I've got to tell you. And what right. I see when I look uh, at the federal government and its spending is that we already have entitlement programs that, were, that are about to go bust. Social Security is in trouble. Medicare is in trouble. We can't take on another entitlement program that is bigger than both of those. Well, I mean, you just... It's not affordable. I know we think, you know, America, land of opportunity, the country can pay for anything. It's not true. Jerry Willis, Fox Business Network. Thank you for being with us on the Fox News Rundown. You're welcome. Thank you. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tom What's on your mind? In what appears to be a miraculous change of heart or perhaps change in perceived oppression, failed quarterback and anthem kneeler Colin Kaepernick wants to play once again for the NFL. 
Yes, folks, that same National Football League that he accused of being racist and discriminatory against him and others. The same NFL he likened and compared to slavery in his Netflix special just months ago. That NFL. Take a listen to his latest plea for attention, I mean interview, that debuted on the YouTube show I Am Athlete earlier this week. I first took a knee, my jersey went to number one. The NFL is supposed to be a meritocracy. Come in, let me compete. If I'm not good enough, get rid of me. But let me come in and show you. Wait, wait, wait. Now, Kaepernick not only views the league as a meritocracy instead of an oppressive organization, but believes he has the merit to compete? Well, excuse me, since when has Colin, or any woke ringleader for that matter, advocated for merit over quota, merit over feelings, or merit over political agenda and narrative? But speaking of merit, Colin, it takes not only technical skill, but locker room leadership to be part of an elite athletic organization such as the NFL. Folks, if you'll recall, Colin was originally missing that whole merit aspect back in the fall of 2015 when he was benched as starting quarterback by Blaine Gabbert. This was right before he started his infamous anthem bench pouting turned anthem kneeling. He said he started his protest to bring awareness to police brutality and racial oppression. But the funny thing is, he only started feeling so woke and oppressed when he was sitting on the bench. But Kaepernick still maintains he isn't in the NFL because he's oppressed and discriminated against. That alleged oppression and discrimination has been quite lucrative for him, though. He settled his grievance claim with Ali with a payout that's rumored to be in the tens of millions and has since been showered with endorsement deals and Netflix series. Oppression sure seemed to pay off for Kaepernick until right about now. Apparently, that woke money tree isn't bearing fruit quite like it used to, and now Kaepernick is begging to return to his other and original moneymaker, football. Look, is he good enough to be a backup quarterback for one team or another? Perhaps, but here's the deal. No team is likely going to risk their backup sucking all the air and attention from their starter, and Kaepernick is the definition of an attention suck. All Kaepernick has done is mainstream hatred, distrust, and demonization of law enforcement, divide our nation, and popularize hatred for a country that afforded him and all of us, regardless of race, so much. What an embarrassment to football, to black Americans, and to those activists who truly believe in something, even if it means actual sacrifice, not dollar signs. Good luck, Cap. You're going to need it. I'm Tommy Lahren, and that's the Fox News Rundown. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.